0: Welcome to Saints. In this podcast, we'll be discovering and discussing fascinating insights to topics and events found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the latter days. This new four-volume narrative is a history of the Restoration. You can also read it and all the material we'll be discussing today on LDS.org or on your Gospel Library app. And now, Saints. I'm Ben Godfrey, and today I have with us an archivist at the Church History Library, Brandon Metcalf. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you. Good to be here. Also joining us today is our good friend, Sarah Iring. Sarah has recently read Saints Volume 1 and will be sharing her thoughts and questions in our episode today. Welcome, Sarah.
1: I'm happy to be here, too.
0: Today in our discussion, we're going to talk about Chapter 12 of Saints, which is called After Much Tribulation, and as our listeners will remember... In the previous chapter, we learned that there's a, a whole group of saints, new members of the church in New York, that have followed the uh, revelation to move to the Ohio. As these new saints begin to arrive, there's a, a bishop, right, Brandon, and and his name was Edward Partridge. And, and so, tell us a little bit about what's what's Edward Partridge's job. What's what's he doing to help these people as they arrive in the Kirtland area?
2: So, Edward Partridge. Uh... as as presiding bishop he is assigned basically the task to get people settled on property and so at this time we've got the consecration going on where individuals will consecrate all of their their belongings property whatever that might be and then as bishop he he distributes these stewardships so oftentimes when people would donate property they would get that property right back as part of their stewardship. But what he's trying to do is you have uh, folks from the Coltsville branch specifically arrive from New York. He is finding a place for them to settle.
1: So I'm curious where they got this idea of consecration. Was it in Revelation through Joseph Smith or something else?
2: It is. It's a, it's a revelation received by Joseph Smith that this, uh, this is the way to do it, that they would consecrate and, and kind of live in a united community. You had some other uh, religious groups in the area that were, were somewhat already doing this. Um, and so what happens here is you've got one of these, uh, one of these church members named Lehman Copley, who has a, a large piece of property uh, outside of Kirtland. And so many of these Colesville saints that are coming from New York are, are sent there. To settle on that land, he's got over 700 acres, and so there was plenty of land for them to begin, uh, start building homes, farming, cultivating the land.
0: That's so, really cool. So they get right to work on the the Copley farm. They're building homes, they're putting up fences, and it seems to be going pretty pretty good at first. And then uh, Brother Copley has kind of a change of heart. Let's listen to just a little clip here from the book about. What happened and uh, the impact that had on these saints from Colesville.
3: After the settlement started taking shape, however, Lehman withdrew from the church and told the Colesville saints to get off his property. With nowhere else to go, the evicted saints asked Joseph to seek the Lord's direction for them. "You shall take your journey into the regions westward," the Lord told them, "unto the land of Missouri." Now that they knew Zion would be in Missouri, not Ohio, the Colesville Saints realized they would be among the first church members to settle there. They began to prepare for the journey, and about two weeks after the revelation, Polly and the rest of the branch left the Kirtland area and boarded riverboats that would take them west.
0: Tell us a little bit about this. I mean, this seems like they pulled this off pretty quickly. Two weeks later, and they just, they're up and on their way.
2: Yeah, for me, it demonstrates the incredible faith of this Colesville branch. Here they are, weeks or a few months removed, coming from New York to a land most of them had never seen, to Ohio. They're sent out to, to, to Copley's property, whom they don't know, and now that goes south after they've, they've put some extreme effort into uh, cultivating that land. That goes south, and now they're told they're going to move again another about 1,000 miles to Missouri. I, I think the faith for these people to bounce from Colesville, who had been their home for a long time, many of them, and then go to Ohio. And now within just a couple months, they're they're being shipped down to Missouri to what at that time is really the, the great American frontier.
0: Yeah. Do you like moving, Sarah?
1: Um, no. <laughs> it's a bit of
0: a task. I hate moving. I seriously do. Like that's the worst... I can't imagine how what a pain this was. And it's not like they just got a U-Haul, you know, like this, yeah. is, this is difficult stuff. And they start getting things going, and then off they go again. Um, you, you make a good point. You have to think that at this time, really the fastest modes
2: of travel are horseback or, or by boat. Uh, these are not easy moves to go overland uh, from New York and then from Ohio down to Missouri, these are, are extremely difficult. You've got a, a few that are, are very ill, uh, including Polly Knight. The Knight family is really sort of the, the nucleus of that Colesville branch. And she's not well, but she, because of her, her faith in, in the prophet Joseph and, and their call to go to what they're now referring to as Zion in Missouri, uh, she's going to go no matter what.
0: As they make their journey, we have a couple of characters. We have the Knight family. Uh, Joseph and Polly and Newell, and we have another member of the church named Ezra Booth. Kind of set the stage for us. Tell us about these 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 different people. What what are their roles and what are they doing as they head down to to settle in Zion in Missouri? So the, the Knights
2: are one of your early families that are converted to the church back in New York. Like I mentioned, they they form sort of the the nucleus of that Colesville branch. Uh, had known Joseph since into the 1820s when he had worked in the areas when they, they first became acquainted. Uh, so, so faithful, they, they moved to, to Ohio, just like we've said, they're sent down. Ezra Booth is a recent convert as well. He is a, a former preacher uh, for the Methodist church, and he's amongst several that are called to go down to hold a conference in Missouri with Joseph Smith. His conversion was kind of a miraculous thing, is that right? That's right. He saw uh, Joseph heal a woman's paralyzed arm and uh,
0: had been converted by that. I mean, it's sort of an instantaneous thing, right? It's like, wow. That's what it sounds like. This is, I've witnessed a healing and and so Ezra joins and, and off they go. Joseph ends up going down with them to Missouri and hopes are really high, but when they get there, I'm, I'm sort of, I, I don't know, I'm just picturing in my head, like, the yellow brick road in The Wizard of Oz, you know, like, <laughs> it's going to be the shining Emerald City, right? It feels like that's what Ezra's expecting. Right. He's expecting that Zion's waiting for them to just show up, and they'll, it'll be Zion already. And Joseph's
2: a little optimistic about this. He, he feels that Oliver has probably converted n- uh, num- numerous uh, people and that it's going to be sort of looking more like Kirtland. And uh, when they arrive, it's not so. I think that even Joseph himself is a little surprised being from small villages like Kirtland and then uh, even in Manchester, Palmyra area. He was used to smaller villages, but this is really sort of a uh, backwoods river town. Uh, this this not, not built up at all. There's, there's a courthouse, there's a few stores, and the beginnings of a few homes. And so it's, it's, it's quite barren, not quite uh, the converts, or I think they have seven people join the church at this point. And so it's not quite what any of them are expecting when they arrive.
0: Let's listen to a little clip here from the book that talks about what Ezra Booth saw and kind of what his um, experience was.
3: But when they reached the town, the elders were unimpressed by what they saw. Ezra Booth, a former minister who had joined the church after seeing Joseph heal a woman's paralyzed arm, thought the area looked dreary and undeveloped. It had a courthouse, a few stores, several log houses, and little else. The missionaries had baptized only a handful of people in the area, so the branch was not as strong as Joseph had expected. Feeling misled, Ezra and others began to question Joseph's prophetic gifts.
1: I think that's sort of relatable. I would have been wondering, too, if we were on the right path, if I had been part of that group of people who had put a lot of faith into um, Joseph and into the Lord. I would be feeling that same way. So what did they do? When they got there, were they, did they decide to turn around or did they stick it out?
2: I think some of them wanted, probably would have turned around had, uh, had they uh, had that opportunity. But they did stay there for, for most of those that went down in that group. They, they knew it wasn't permanent, that they would eventually be returning to Kirtland. But uh, I think there's a good lesson here as you talk about that. I, I think one, perhaps Ezra and others mistook Joseph's optimism for prophecy or revelation I, I mean, I, I don't think Joseph uh, w- was telling them that here's what I see in vision, and now let's let's go and and uh, reap the benefits here of, of our spoils. But I think it's important to remember that Joseph is is not entitled to really any any much revelation than any of us. We all have to work for revelation, even the prophet Joseph. It uh, wasn't just a matter of him having the uh, picking up a phone, as as we would say in our age, and. Uh, dialing up for revelation. That's not how it works. And so, I think Ezra and others were, were maybe duped into thinking that every waking minute, Joseph is being led uh, by prophecy and revelation for everything he did. And so, I think in, in some ways, that's a slippery slope. If, if as you look through our history, everyone up uh, from your rank and file to the president of the church, revelation is not an easy thing. We all work for
0: it.
1: That's a great point.
0: There's another character um, named Edward Partridge. And Edward makes the same trip. He sees the same place. And, and as they're looking around to buy some land, you know, Edward's looking and saying, you know, there, there's better places, Joseph. Like, the land over there, it's, it's richer. It's more fertile. It's got better access to, to water or, or whatever. Let, let's listen to a little clip about how Edward Partridge handled this same unsettling feeling of not having things work out just as he thought they might.
3: On July twentieth, six days after his arrival, Joseph's prayers were answered. This land, the Lord told him, is the land which I have appointed and consecrated for the gathering of the saints. They had no reason to look elsewhere. This is the land of promise, he declared, and the place for the city of Zion, the saints were to purchase as much of the available land as possible, build homes and plant fields. And on a bluff west of the courthouse, they were to build a temple.
0: So Edward asks Joseph, is this really the place? And this is the answer he receives. What does Edward do with this? What's his reaction? And maybe we can compare that to uh, Ezra Booth. You know,
2: Edward, I think any of us going down there and seeing this place, not quite what we expected it to be, uh, far, far, subpar from what we've left for certain. And uh, now this is being identified as sort of the center place of Zion, the gathering place. And so you, you can sympathize with Edward with any, with Ezra, uh, Ezra Booth, and, and uh, some disappointment there. And who knows? I, I wonder if even if Joseph, not quite seeing things as he had hoped they'd be, as far as number of converts and things, was was a bit disappointed himself. Uh, but Edward and Ezra—it's a it's a beautiful contrast you you mentioned here. Edward, while he sort of stumbles at first and questions, he's chastised a bit by the Lord. Uh, Joseph receives a revelation and basically tells him to uh, get in gear and repent, and uh, this is this is the place. I I wonder. How many did the same thing when they arrived here in the Salt Lake Valley? Uh, I think as you move place to place, it's out of your comfort zone. You've less, you've left uh, things that you're familiar with, and you had uh, perhaps a lot more amenities. And to come here and see this—this uh, this is it. But Edward, Edward is humbled when uh, Joseph receives that revelation towards Edward, telling him that uh, he'll need to—he'll need to be there. He needs to repent, and that uh, he has a call given him, and it's not going to be given again. Edward does uh, the opposite of what Ezra Booth does, and he really does humble himself, repent, and even writes a letter to his wife explaining that uh, they'll be moving down there.
1: So prophecies like this that Joseph is receiving, um, those are are referenced in, all, of course, throughout this narrative, and there are topics specifically about these prophecies. Is that right? A, a link that you can go to that describe sort of the sources that yes. these prophecies yeah, come ab- from?
0: Absolutely. So the the footnotes in the chapters will lead to those primary sources, and in some instances throughout the book, there's more than a hundred individual topics where you can learn more. Um, and of course, this this letter that Brandon that you just mentioned from Edward to Lydia is available, and you can you know you can see this actual letter.
1: I love the um this the, this quote from that letter where he says, "I fear my station is above what I can perform to the acceptance of my heavenly Father." he confesses to his wife, Lydia, pray for me that I may not fail. I think that is a great um, demonstration of courage and of faith, especially in these difficult circumstances that you've described.
0: Yeah, what a humble man. Lydia is expecting him to come home, and they've got a nice business, and they're set up well. They've had a daughter that was near death. Yeah. Wow. And uh, he sends her a letter and says, not only is it not as great as I thought it was, but the Lord's chastised me, and yet... He's, he's humble and says, I'll just pray for me that I can do my best and what's been asked of me to do. I think that's, that's an incredible example that l- many of us, myself included, can use in our own lives as, as we face challenges, things that are unexpected for us.
2: And the Partridges as a post note too. They, I mean, they, extreme, they experience some extreme hardship down there. He's, uh, as, as persecution gets, uh, el- escalates, you have to think, you have this, this, this group come in and more and more we're, we sort of have these dual gathering spots going on. You have Kirtland and Missouri. So Missouri grows in the coming months and years and a lot of the locals don't like this idea where they, they feel like this, this larger group is going to come in and they're going to run the politics in the county, they're going to run the economy, they've got what they think are some outrageous religious ideas. And so the, the persecution ramps up. Edward Partridge is eventually taken out into the streets. Uh, they're in independence and tarred and feathered. Uh, they're driven from their homes, like many other saints, and, and go to a neighboring county, First Clay, and then Caldwell County. They eventually go to Nauvoo. And so they, they just have a, a rough time down there that all, all of them go through. And I just love that not only Edward, but Lydia, as she receives this letter from him, is so quick to just go. and. Uh, travel down there with a few others that have been assigned to settle independence. I think it's a remarkable story of faith. We don't fully appreciate being here in 2018. As, as you look back we, and understand how hard this would have been to move almost a thousand miles and to leave this home that they had established, uh, he was quite well-to-do in the area. And I think neighbors thought he was nuts for giving that all up. And him not, how hard was that for him not even to go back and bring his family down. Right, right. He, he he instructs Lydia, you know, get fall in line with a few of the others that are that are coming down. And here's where we're going to settle. It's just a remarkable story of faith, sacrifice, and just overcoming adversity, trusting in the Lord through their adverse conditions.
1: So after they make it to Missouri, of course, we know that eventually they get kicked out, and so. Is there anything that we know about the timing of, of this sort of event? Why they would be instructed to move even though it wasn't going to work out quite as they had hoped?
2: You know, we, we really don't other than it was what the Lord instructed uh, Joseph and, and the saints to do. Uh, in, in some ways, it's a, it's a time of refinement. It's a time of growth and, and really strengthening of the saints that, uh, that endured so much of this as they go on to uh, be later, leaders later on in, in Nauvoo and even coming out to Utah. Uh, it's, it's perhaps our, our darkest period uh, in Missouri. And I don't think we know all the reasons why, why they endured that. And, you know, they did lay a cornerstone uh, for a temple to be built there that, that was not and has not ever been built. But, it, but it's interesting. Uh, I think for some reason the Lord felt that it was a, sort of a refiner's fire for those people to experience that
1: it's kind of helpful to have that perspective a little bit that, you know, for readers today who may be feeling like things aren't working out the way that they expected them to, or, you know, that their, their righteous labors aren't being rewarded. But of course, Heavenly Father doesn't always uh, work in ways that are very obvious to us. In fact, sometimes he allows us to experience those things, as you said, so that we can be refined, which I think is, is a good thing to remember.
2: Yeah, definitely keeping the commandments and doing all, doing your best, uh, does not shelter or protect us in any way from hardship. I mean, look at the life of Joseph, look at the life here of the partridges that we have before us, and how they responded to it versus someone like Ezra Booth, who becomes a severe enemy to the church and publishes uh, numerous things that, that are really a, a thorn in the side of, uh, of church growth for some time in the area there in Ohio. And uh, what a remarkable thing to see uh, how faith can see you through uh, in, the, in the face of ad- adversity and, and what seemed to be insurmountable obstacles at times. But to have the, see the, the trust that they had, even though things in Missouri didn't work out, uh, they stuck with it and they, they, they eventually go on to Nauvoo and, and help build up the church in that Zion. And so we have the, these, these other Zions that, uh, and gathering spots that the Lord uh, prepares in years to come.
0: Maybe on just a little bit of a lighter note... At the end of Joseph's time, as you said, there's two places we're gathering at the moment. We have Kirtland, we have Missouri. Joseph's going to go back to Kirtland. He hasn't yet moved uh, to the Missouri area. And part of their trip, they're in canoes. There's a group of men, and they're canoeing their way back. It's the fastest route. Seems like it might not have been such a pleasant trip. And one of the things I, I actually love about saints is... It helps us see that these are real people, just like us. I've been on canoe trips with young men, and some of them, you know, refuse to paddle, and some of them say they're too tired. And I kind of just thinking about those experiences and then maybe Brandon, tell us a little bit about this this trip with Joseph and Oliver and others as they try to paddle their way up the river to, to get back to Kirtland. It sounds awful
2: to be honest <laughs> any any family uh, cross-country trip i think fails in comparison the I, I think there's some frustration there and uh just the whole notion of uh their disappointment with missouri uh, really manifests itself in the in the return trip to, to kirtland and so there's just extreme criticizing going on uh, things so petty as the way that oliver cowdrey paddles the canoe or uh Joseph being a dictator. And so this, this goes well into the night as, as they're trying to sleep. Joseph tries to, to talk to the group to ease some of that tension, uh, is unsuccessful largely in that. And it just, to me, sounds like the most miserable, long trip back to Kirtland uh, that you could have.
0: Again, just to me, it illustrates these are, these are real people. Um, the fact that they're, you know, I can just hear them. You know, he's not, he's not rowing hard enough. That's right. I'm doing more of the work. You know, and Oliver's like, I've had it with you people. You know, I'm just done. And they pull over and they're arguing till two in the morning. Um, But like us, like, you know, eventually they have to kind of reconcile and and they do, you know, make, make make the return journey home successfully. Sarah mentioned earlier about the topics that are in the volume. One of the topics that's associated with this chapter that our readers may be interested in is a topic on Joseph Smith's prophecies. And one of those prophecies that our readers might be interested in is Joseph Smith's prophecy about the Civil War. At this time, if I'm remembering correctly, South Carolina has a disagreement with the federal government, and there's a lot of um, arguing. There's even talk of secession. And Joseph prophesies that they will leave the Union, that war will begin in South Carolina, And it seems pretty eminent, like it's going to happen right now. But it doesn't happen right then, because we're in the 1830s. Now, later, we we know, of course, South Carolina is the first to go, and the Civil War does begin there. I guess one of the things that intrigued me about learning the timeline, because I've always just thought, oh, Joseph said the Civil War was coming and it happened right away. But I think the people at that time expected it to actually happen a bit sooner than he than it did, right What does that tell us a little bit about just understanding the Lord's timeline and what what it means to uh, to fulfill a prophecy in, in his own time
2: that's a that's a great question a great point. I, I think uh, one of the hardest lessons to learn at least for me personally in this life is is patience and trusting in the Lord's timetable and not mine We, we are such an impatient uh, I think just by nature. We want things to happen now. And so, that, that's a great example of this is decades before the civil war. And Joseph doesn't even live, obviously, he, he's uh, killed long before the civil war begins. And so, he doesn't see in his life this prophecy fulfilled. But I, I think it's a, it's a great lesson on uh, the Lord's timetable. Th- this, this specific one you mentioned here in the civil war uh, coming decades before is just evidence of the calling of a prophet, seers, and revelators. That they see things down the road
0: that uh, we may not. Brandon and Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a fantastic discussion. Brandon, if you were to summarize this this chapter and what has been meaningful to you, who, who are the individuals, who are the the people, the circumstances that stand out that that made this a, a an interesting chapter to read.
2: I think it's just the faith and devotion of the Partridges and the Knights really, is uh, both with Lydia and Polly, maybe especially, I don't know that we talked as much about them, but I think it's just a remarkable story of faith and sacrifice. And also when you contrast it with Ezra Booth and how that story ended in in contrast to Edward Partridge, uh, just uh, I think lessons for all of us to learn about uh, following the prophet, about revelation, and about really our attitudes in adverse times of adversity.
0: Thank you so much for joining us uh, again, and thanks to all of you who have tuned into this episode. We appreciate you uh, listening in. To learn more about the Saints Project, you can always visit saints.lds.org, where you can explore the latest updates, topics, videos, and more. You can also read or listen to Saints in the Church History section of the Gospel Library app. Finally, to download this episode and to subscribe, visit mormonchannel.org. I'm Ben Godfrey. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us today for Saints. And don't forget to read more of this historical narrative on lds.org or on your Gospel Library app. Join us again for our next episode, where we'll once again discover fascinating insights of church history found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the Latter-Days.